Live from Tel Aviv, two nice Jewish boys. Hi, I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Noor Menninger. This podcast is made in cooperation with the Jewish Journal, www.jewishjournal.com. It was a Saturday afternoon in mid-December in 2010 when Kay Wilson and Christine Lukin decided to go for a hike in the Mata Forest near Beit Shemesh, west of Jerusalem. That decision proved fateful, and even fatal, for one of them. Rewind four months. Kay, a British-born Israeli citizen, is guiding a Holocaust tour through Poland. She meets Christine Lukin, a Christian-American enthralled by the Jewish people and their history. Kay is so moved by Lukin's passion that she invites her to her home country to experience the real Israel, and Lukin accepts. She flies to Israel, and the two engage in their mutual love of hiking. What happened in the hills that day in December has been haunting Kay ever since. This very interview was postponed as Kay found herself suffering from a debilitating bout of PTSD. But still, she finds the strength to tell her story again and again. Why? Well, we're honored to have Kay Wilson join us today to tell her story and answer that question for herself. This episode is brought to you guys by our friends over at Roadmap Jerusalem. Guys, Roadmap Jerusalem is an amazing new documentary, www.roadmapjerusalem.com. Rabbi Nolan Leibovitz basically embarks on a journey to discover as much as he can about the connection between the Jewish people and the city of Jerusalem. It's thought-provoking. I learned a lot of new things that I didn't know, really, some archaeological findings that I had never seen before. He talks to archaeologists, historians, politicians, and he really brings you the the facts in a, in a very interesting way, and he comes to some really interesting conclusions. So visit www.roadmapjerusalem.com and download the movie or buy the DVD. You can also stream it on Amazon if you're in the U.S. Again, guys, www.roadmapjerusalem.com. Hey guys, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we're joined by... Sheba and Munchkin, two dogs. (laughs) (laughs) That's a first game, so we'll get to the questions to them afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it's the first time for them in Tel Aviv. Yeah. I'm I'm guiding them. Okay. (laughs) So let's let's start with, uh, I guess, the hardest part. Let's start with the day in that on that hike. Okay. Um, and for the people who have heard it before, I'm assuming they can fast forward, right? But, yeah. Uh, just basically, I was uh, guiding Christine in the Mata Forest, as you said, and we went up to a viewpoint, and I was showing her where we'd been the previous morning, and suddenly I noticed like 60 feet away, 20 meters down in the thicket, two men crouched. And... Uh, you didn't mention, but I've been here like over 30 years, made Aliyah 32 years ago. I've always had Arab, Palestinian friends, Druze friends, Jewish friends, Christian friends. And I could see by the way they were dressed that they were Palestinians. So I signaled Christine not to make a noise because I didn't want them to see us. But one stands up and he asks in Hebrew, Maim, have you got any water? Now I answered back, Alavai, I wish. Because I didn't want them to come too close and I didn't want, you know, to like uh, upset them. So they went away, but I was feeling very uneasy. Here we are on the viewpoint, just a little too far away from the car. um, And I suspected they were probably going to steal my backpack. So they disappeared and I told Christine we need to get back to the car. 
I took out my pen knife just in case they'd come from behind and take the bag and we're walking back down the hill and with my little dog Peanut, not these two, another dog, and uh, the dog's snapping at flies, so I think, oh, they must have gone. And I'm already planning what to do for the next uh, rest of the day. And then I suddenly hear Christine scream. And as I turn around, it feels like this log is ramming in my back. And uh, he knocks me to the ground. And I'm lying on my stomach and he's like pushing my face in the dirt. And I managed to turn over. And now he's kneading his way up my torso and I had the little knife and to be honest I wanted to circumcise him but I just managed to to nick him in the thigh but he's bigger than me so he takes the knife and I look around for Christine and she's being held by the other guy who's got a kitchen knife to her throat and then begins like half an hour of madness and I say madness because everything is happening in the most beautiful place you know the birds are chirping and the pines are fragrant and there's a gentle breeze and we've got machetes at our throats. And having, in the trauma, having forgotten I'd spoken to them in Hebrew about the, uh, about the water, I tried to convince them that we're both tourists. Uh, Christine was very brave. She spoke up. She says, I'm an American Christian. And I say, yes, I'm a British Christian. But after a while, they look through my stuff and they find my Israeli ID. And it's the old mm. one that had the UD Jewish on it. So then there's a change of plan. Now I'm conversing with them in Hebrew. I'm trying to persuade them to take the car. I tell Christine to have an epileptic fit, thinking there's a medical crisis. They might take the stuff and run. Nothing's working and time is ticking on. And I don't know what they want. And then about after 25 minutes, uh, one of them makes a phone call. And I know a little Arabic and I can hear they're coordinating with a car. Now, this is when uh, Gilad Shalit was still in captivity. And I thought, I understood we're going to be kidnapped. And that moment was, I mean, there's, it's full of bad moments, but that, that was uh, like a tsunami, you know. And he comes back and he says in Hebrew, take off your shoes. Then he tells me to take out my laces and they tie our hands behind the back with the shoelaces. One hacks up Christine's fleece, they gag us. He takes off my sunglasses he removes my Star of David very gently and he puts it in his pocket. And uh, we're standing gag-bound barefoot and I'm waiting to be pushed through the forest into a car to the main road so they can take us off to Gaza. And instead of that, one steps between us, pushes me on my knees and I try to look around to see where Christine is. And then I hear, everything's musical for me because I happen to be a musician, but it's like this cosmic symphony you know they scream I hear Christine just very gently say Jesus help me and I actually throw up behind my gag and I I hear myself gurgle smile you know hero Israel and he stabs me in the back so hard I fall to the ground and now he's leaning on my thigh and uh, I mean how can I ever convey or articulate what I was thinking and feeling I mean Pain-wise, each time he rammed his machete into me, I could hear my bones crunch. He was like beating me with it. And, you know, it was serrated, so it's getting stuck in bone and I can hear my flesh rip. And the only thing I know to do is, look, I said, I mean, people pray a lot in these circumstances, but I said, please, God, let me live, let me live. 
And the only thing I knew to do was to play dead. And how do I play dead? I keep my eyes open. And I made this moral choice, you know, to save my own life. I watch my friend hack to death. And they leave. And they're back. And uh, one turns me over on my back. And now I'm looking up at the pines and this beautiful sunset. And I see this silhouette of a man's hand and it covers the sunset and I watch him plunge the knife into my chest and I didn't flinch, blink or move they believe we're both dead so they leave again and I have one last goal in life and that is to die actually nearer where I parked the car so the police could find my body and I managed to stand and gagged barefoot, bound I walk step by step through the forest uphill and I'm thinking about the people I love and I'm thinking about the desert wind I'll never hear again and I'm thinking about the sea and I'm thinking about people's voices and their kindness and and uh, and then I started thinking about music you know because I couldn't bear to think about Christine and I'm thinking especially about an arrangement somewhere over the rainbow and thinking of all of these things, I managed to walk over a mile uphill until I got to a family who rescued me at a picnic table. And I had uh, just to kvetch a little bit, which means to moan for the non-Jewish readers. I had six snap ribs, 30 broken bones, bones that had splintered off into my lungs and diaphragm, crushed sternum, broken shoulder blade, 13 machete wounds in my uh, lungs and diaphragm. And so I get to, can I go on? Sure. Yeah. Okay, because I have to tell you, I, ha I have to say this because, you know, it's obviously very emotional also for the listeners. And, but I, I do want to say that when I got to hospital, the last words I heard on the operating table was from a Jewish surgeon to his Muslim colleague who said, Muhammad, give me the knife, you know. So I do want to say that although two Muslims savagely murdered my friend it was an Israeli Arab Muslim surgeon who saved my life and six weeks after the murder there was a police blackout and six weeks after the uh, there's an announcement that because I stabbed the guy with my pen knife the DNA on my knife helped the police capture the terrorists in a, in a wider cell and these terrorists also confessed to murdering uh, another Israeli lady, Netta Blatzorek, 10 months previously. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the story. And I ended up in court because we're a democratic country. There was no forensic doubt. Okay, They were proud of what they did. And when the judge asked, why did you murder an American Christian? They shrugged their shoulders and they smirked and they said, we thought she was Jewish. So they got sentenced for life and uh, I hope they stay there. I, I have to ask, I mean, it's got to be um, uh, just so painful to go through this over time and time again. And I've seen you be interviewed before and the interviewees always mention, you know, that you and, and when we were trying to 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 get you to come, we had conversations with people at uh, Stand With Us. And they mentioned how, how tough it is for you to go through it over and over again. I mean, I, and I can answer it, I guess, for myself, but I, 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 I'm not sure any answer I would give myself 
actually make sense from your perspective. But wh why do you tell the story? I mean, people know, you know, but that, that terrorism exists. So why is it important for you to come forward and say? Well, there's several reasons. And first of all, I appreciate you recognizing that very much. That means a lot to me because it does have an enormous mental toll, not maybe during the interview, but the next day, and I'm not fit for anything. Uh, why do I do it? Well, first of all, to bring honor to Christine's life as much as her death, all right? I mean, I didn't know her very well, but she was a, a beautiful lady, full of life, and I think she should be remembered. Her life should be remembered. Uh, secondly, you know, as Jews, we're told to bear witness and I need to testify to what evil does. But I also want to testify to the goodness of the people of Israel. You know, I mean, I'm semi-sane. I was never more than semi-sane anyway. But I think I'm semi-sane because uh, of the kindness I've experienced from all kinds of people in Israeli society. And thirdly... Uh, for the people who don't live here, you know, there's always this moral equivalent stuff that's been thrown around, all right? Oh, these kids are killed and these kids are killed. We, the Jewish people are not committing pogroms against Arabs or Muslims, all right? And what happened to Christine Lucan, the fact that the terrorists themselves said she was murdered because they thought she was a Jew, that to me historically sums up everything. You know, we've had pogroms here way before the State of Israel, way before there are any settlements. And it's the policy of Mahmoud Abbas, a Yudenrein, you know, Jew-free state. And it's a result of this incitement in the Palestinian Authority that my Christian friend was murdered. And that's what the world needs to hear. Because the people who tried to murder me and who took Christine's life, stole Christine's life, they are being paid a monthly salary by European taxpayers' monies. So I don't just tell to be gory, but I think people should know really what's going on and the reward system. Mm -hmm. Because you do tell it, you know, you, you tell it vividly, which is not, uh, which shouldn't be taken for granted, meaning there's all kinds of ways to tell a story, but you make a point of it to make it as vivid as possible. It's not go, yeah, it's not go for the sake of God, because I can also say there was, and I don't like to miss this bit out, but there was beauty there as well. You know, it mm -hmm. wasn't, I mean, the, the songs of the birds and the, I, I won't ever forget the fragrant pines, you know, so it's a bigger picture of what this world is about as well. It's not just gore, all right? And I don't obviously tell my story to just bring incitement and hatred towards everybody of the Arab, Muslim or Palestinian people. Mm-hmm. You know, but it does, I think what happened to Christine Lucan and myself is very indicative of uh, the political agenda of a political Islam. Mm -hmm. And just to make it clear, you guys met during your guide in, in Poland? Yeah, I was right? like a junior guide at that time. Uh, but I, I'd always been interested in the history of the Holocaust and especially... Uh, European anti-Semitism that contributed to the Holocaust. So I always enjo enjoyed guiding Christians. I mean, you can't enjoy guiding the Holocaust, but Christine was one of these people who who wasn't afraid to do, I don't know how you say, cheshbon nefesh, collectively. 
Introspection. Yeah, introspection. Also collective introspection mm -hmm. about why these things happen. So you guided her in a tour and then you told her basically come visit and yeah. I'll show you around and she, she came. She'd been to Israel before, right? She'd been to Israel once before uh, on a tour, you know, but I was very keen, like with most of my tourists, you know, you can do the, the interest in historical stuff, but I want to show them a good jazz club in Tel Aviv mm -hmm. or where to lenegev hummus, where to eat hummus, you know, the real Israel. Uh -huh. not, the, uh, not that the other's fake, you know, but there's so much more to this country than religion. Yeah. Now, I have, you're wearing a sweater which says, keep calm and go to Israel. <laughs> it, it was the only one that was clean, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but... It should be the other way around, Dayton. It should be, go to Israel and keep calm. <laughs> uh, that's what I was going to ask. Shouldn't it be, I mean, uh, taking into account your experience, shouldn't it be freak out and get the hell away? <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. no, listen, if we, if we give in to terror, all right, look, there's a very famous rabbi, Rabbi Nachman, and it's a, they turned it into a song, actually. The entire world is a narrow bridge, and the main thing is that we should never be afraid. And that's, think about terrorism, all right? They want us to be afraid. They want us to stop living our life. And there's so much more to Israel than terrorism. Israel is vibrant. It's dynamic. It's always the first when there's a national disaster. It's like the Silicon Valley of the world, you know? It's agriculture. It's museums. It's music. There's so much more to Israel. And so much more we can enjoy and benefit from life when we live here. So for me, it's not like come to Israel and freak out. It's more, it's my revenge. Living life well, that's my revenge. It's like, screw you. You know, that's what I'm saying to the terrorists. Mm -hmm. I'm going to carry on doing what I want to do. I, I want to put the spotlight on the trials. Yeah. Because you attended the whole thing. I did. How long... Um, Well, it's, it's Israel, right? Yeah, I mean, like years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it was the translator sloppy. forgets to turn up and then there's, uh, you know, there was no parking for the state defense. I mean, it's like... <laughs> no place to sit. <laughs> no place to sit. The coffee machine's broken. It's very... <laughs> it's not... Surrealistic. No, but you know, it's funny. You're talking about this because, I mean, I've never been to court before except for speeding a few times. Well, quite a few times, but I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but so you expect, you know, like the murder trial, you expect like these wood paneled ceilings and judges in stupid white wigs. And you get there and it's like people chewing gum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the judge. Know, the judge. <laughs> no. no, there's like a tiny room about the size of this small living room. And I found myself sitting like 15 feet, five feet up, five meters away from the people who tried to murder me. And every, the great thing is, I don't think I've ever spoken about this. But the amazing thing is, okay, I don't know what Christine's parents thought. I'm sure they were a little shocked by the whole thing. They were there. Yeah, of course. And I hadn't met them before, but so I thought they were very brave to come. But there was a point where, you know, obviously the trial's in Hebrew and uh, somebody was ad-libbing, translating. There wasn't any formal translation. And the translator gets stuck. So in Hebrew, she says, how do you say this in English? And suddenly all 40 people in the courtroom, whoever they were, 
I mean, there was one taxi driver friend of, it wasn't even a friend. He took me to the trauma therapy once and he promised to come to the trial. So the question is asked, how do you say this in uh, Hebrew, in English? And you've got 40 translators now, uh-huh. all debating how you should, and there's something so touching about this. So, you know, for all the wars, for all the crap we have to put up with here, there's an innocence and a goodness about Israel. An intimacy. Not just an intimacy, but a, a goodness, a right. genuine, genuine goodness. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you during the whole thing, you, you look them in the eyes? Well, in the beginning, I mean, I wasn't scared. And I'm, I don't mean to say that bravado. They were chained up, all right? So, so when they first walked in the room... I mean, I told myself before they came in, I have to look at them. But I had my head down and I could hear the chains, you know, jingling, jangling. And it was like some demons had walked into the room. And I expected to see, uh, I mean, I don't mean this unkindly, but they're not nice looking guys, you know. Uh, but I expected to see also when you add the, when you add the rage, their rage and their evil, I expected to see the same monsters. And when I actually looked up, I mean, I just saw two people and it was so shocking. They looked the same physically, but I just thought, I, I, I must be wrong. I must be confused. And the, when I knew that I wasn't confused is when one of them yawned and shrugged his shoulders. You know, it's like evil is boring. And then I thought, yeah, it's you. The banality of evil. Yeah, really. So I spent, I tried to like glare at them and like burn out their brains, you know. I mean, I, it was so emotional, the whole thing. There was the survivor's guilt. There was my own rage. I was, I kept it all inside, you know. But I mean, it, I have to be honest, if I'd have had a knife, I'd have slashed them up and gouged out their eyeballs and flicked the eyeball along. I mean, let's not, you know, spare, I'm not Mother Teresa. Right. But I didn't. I didn't say anything, uh, uh, except I blew one a kiss because I knew he'd get really upset about that, and he did. And then the <laughs> then the prison guard like gave him a few thumps, which was incredibly felt good to me. But the only thing I said was after the trial finished, and I just looked them in the eye and I said, "Am Israel Chai?" You know, the nation of right. Israel lives. Hmm. But if I may, Eitan, uh, there's a little political point that I want to make or ask you, and that is um, they know, I guess, which is probably the truth, that there's a good chance that within a few years... How, how, how long of a sentence did they get? Well, the one who murdered Christine also murdered Netablat Zorek. And they raped other people. They shot at, you know, there's several crimes. So he got 120 years. Mm-hmm. The one who tried to murder me uh, got life for Christine and my attempted murder, which is 55 years. So what I'm trying to ask is, there is a chance that in 10 years, maybe five. Maybe less. Maybe less. Who knows in this <laughs> country, excuse yeah, me. It's okay. Um, that we love and everything, but it has its flaws. Um there's a good chance uh, there will be a deal and they'll get out. There is, but, and I hope, it's a, I hope it's an eternal but, when President Trump came into office, one of the first things he did was he ordered an arrest warrant for the murderers of Christine. That means if there is a prisoner exchange, they will be leaving an Israeli prison and get on a 
plane and be taken to the States for trial there. And now, be extradited. Yeah. Well, the trouble, if there is a change of power in Washington, um, then, yeah, they could, certainly could... They weren't uh, holding Israeli citizenship. No, they're from the... the from the territories. Yeah, yeah. And then I wanted to ask you, apropos that, um, what is your take on... Th there is a debate going on about the de giving a death penalty to terrorists who commit such Atrocities. severe crimes. Okay, well, this, this, this is something I've given a lot of thought to, and I, I'm still thinking it through, okay? Um, so you can never ask one question and just get a simple answer. Especially not from a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> or from a Jew in my position. But uh, let's put it like this, okay? There's lots of separating things before you can get some clarity. If I think, pers I'm only speaking about me, all right, not other people who've lost loved ones to terror attack. If I think that by having these two terrorists executed, it will satiate me, it'll make me feel better, I'm deluding myself. I think I'd be just neutral about feeling-wise, you know? I mean, so, and I'll tell you why. First of all, Christine Lucan should have died in a bed surrounded by people she loved, all right, at a ripe old age with her family. Uh, she wasn't awarded that. She died a terribly brutal, painful death. The death penalty for all these people who say it's not, you know, oh, it's not compassionate. Like, what do you want? They're talking about murderers. But they know when they're going to die. They can make their peace as much as they can with the people around, with God, you know. They have their last cigarette. You, people are executed in the most painless way possible. I see no moral uh, issue whatsoever with, and let me clarify, with people who confess, there's evidence and they have no remorse, all right? There's no moral issue for me. I would say yes on that, but I would say that it wouldn't make me feel better personally because it won't bring back Christine Luca and it won't restore my life to what it was. So what's left is the question. Should we have the death penalty? It just depends if it's the best thing for Israel or not. That's all. Is it the best thing that we can do? I don't mean the moral best thing. Will it stop the terror attacks? Because you can't also use the death penalty as a deterrent. That's not the way to do it. I mean, they, they want to die anyway, but it's not morally right to use it as a deterrent. The only pro is that it may prevent pre-releasing hundreds of them. I, I would err, I would err on the, yes, I am for the death penalty. I mean, because if these two terrorists who murdered Christine, for some reason, would get out of uh, prison, I know they'd murder again. I'd know they'd mm -hmm. murder again. So I, I, I'm inclined to say, yes, I am for it, but it's much more complex. Sure. On the point of deterrence... Um I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm assuming a lot of these, or most of them, probably all of them go in, uh, not necessarily, I don't know about wanting to, maybe wanting to die, but at least being ready to die. Um, but, but I do know that um, many of them, like you said, get paid by, by the Palestinian all Authority. All of them. Yeah, depending how get, many Jews they've murdered they, yeah. and how long their sentence, they get more money. So, I mean, it would... 
it would at least deter those who think to themselves who are optimistic. It would deter the optimistic terrorists who say to themselves, I'll do this, I'll go to prison. Not to mention how good their lives are at prison. We didn't even talk. Don't even get onto that yeah, earlier. That's, that's very upsetting. Yeah, that is... Because if the prison conditions would be fitting for cold-blooded murderers, I don't think we'd even be debating the death penalty. Right, exactly. I think it's important just to, to clarify to those who don't know, the terrorists here, um, they get to study, like have a degree. They have like every kind of food it's not like u.s prison guys they get table tennis the last the last uh visits visit they get visits they get phones they get their own private kitchen where they have a store of food they don't barely see guards like guards you know no, they have they that's love, right. like, like an autonomy inside prison and they have like amazing f- feasts yeah, and they, they, the last thing, they, they threatened a riot if they couldn't watch the Euro football, all right? Right, they have cables. Yeah. yeah. Now, listen, I, I would imagine that the Israeli prison services has their method in the madness, so to speak. But for people such as myself, you, it's so infuriating because you want, you want them. Look, I don't want to go and kill anybody, all right? I've never done that, although maybe it's, I'm entitled to. I don't know. But I would like to think they're suffering, and they're not. And you juxtapose that with the state of terror victims here or survivors of terror who are so neglected by our government, like the disabled and the Holocaust survivors. You know, it's the people who, the, the, to broadly speaking, the victims are mistreated and the perpetrators are living it up. Right. Mm-hmm. So and all that money, to, yeah. and all that money, I mean, it's not just like it's a zero-sum game, meaning that money that is going to treating them right can now, be... Um, sorry. Yeah. And American logic would say, so, like, legislate to um, downgrade their, their conditions. conditions and legislate so that um, they can't be pre-released. But then we would have to explain to our American or English or whatever audience that here in this country, it's actually easier to give, a, to legislate a death penalty than to <laughs> legislate laws that would downgrade their, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I do, I do That's the Israeli saying. way. <laughs> I, wa- I want to ask you about, um, there was, uh, y- you, you acted to, um, to, uh, in the British Parliament to yeah. uh, freeze up, uh, funding to the Palestinians. How, how did that happen? Um, well, look, I'm I'm the end of a, a chain, you know. It's like I don't want to take all the credit because people have been doing this for years mm-hmm. before, you know, I even was aware of it. <clears throat> so uh, how did it happen? Well, I'm not sure how it happened. So obviously, Stand With Us have been fantastic. They've been really raising awareness of uh, the European and American taxpayers' monies funding these murderers. Uh, So a lot came through Stand With Us. But because I still hold British citizenship, you know, I'm the stabbing queen as far as Britain goes. And uh, (laughs) so uh, there was a measure of success. Pretty Patel, you know, the, the lady who headed up the Department for International Development. She suspended aid. And then she got, she had to resign a few months later because, oh my goodness, she was meeting with Israelis. You know, there's that whole scandal. The fact that she was meeting with Israelis to know mm-hmm. how to help the Syrians is something else. So when Priti Patel was kind of shown the door, this aid was renewed. And now I'm on it again. I'm like a Rottweiler. And I just think, well, how fitting is this? Because it's 
Purim soon, you know? Right. And Purim is full of little Hamans. And there are Hamans, Hamans, in the British government, okay? And uh, I better not name names at the moment. But there are Some MPs. of them lead the Labour Party. Yeah. <laughs> no, but concerning the funding, there are people in the government, no, people in this committee, MPs, who have willingly misled government about where the funds go. They know, excuse my French, damn well, that some of the monies that the British people give in taxpayers goes to the murderers in prison. How do they know that? Because Mahmoud Abbas says... So these yeah. people, for me, they're Haman. They're the polite version of Haman. You know, they're not this medieval anti-Semites, but they know that their money is funding the people who tried to murder me, and they're completely indifferent about it. Mm -hmm. So the gloves are coming off. I'm only just beginning. Awesome. And what role yeah. do you play there? You go and speak in front of British Parliament? I wish. Nobody will have me near that. I don't know what I've done wrong with the Brits. There's, I just <laughs> well, don't know. Well, it's not you. It's them. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, what do you want me to sing? The like, national anthem or something? But there's been no, not one major media who's had me uh, on their news or TV. And it's so weird because I'm saying, look, a Muslim surgeon saved my life. Yeah. I've spoken publicly in London. I say not every Muslim is a terrorist. It's an outrageous thing to say. But obviously, I'm not playing the politically correct role. Why? Right. Because they're looking for the moral equivalents. You know, it's the Middle East. These people get killed. Those people get killed. Come on, boys yeah. and girls, sort it out. There are mothers in both sides. Yeah, well, there are. But so what? My shoes are pink. You know what I mean? It's got nothing to do with the price of fish. Yeah. No, but they will go to the Palestinian territories and interview, you know, victims of the the war and stuff, but then they won't. And I was, because it's, it's amazing, actually. I was kind of shocked by that. When you see your videos online, you don't see them in these major media outlets. And it's just, right. I mean, it's such a compelling story that any media outlet that is after, even like forget political, just like the, the, the value of the story, just yeah. if they're after a good story. And they want to get ratings. Or life values. What I've learned. Yeah, but you know? I'm saying, yeah. you know, put, put life aside. If they mm -hmm. don't even have those, those altruistic, those good values leading them. And they're just after, I mean. Yeah. They'll they, give up anything just not to have you, basically. Yeah. It I tell seems you that, that way. If I, if I, you know, and let me say, I mean, if this goes to an American audience, I'm sure people don't care in America. I have Muslim friends. It was a Muslim surgeon who saved my life, blah, blah, blah. Now, let's put that all aside, okay? I've hidden Muslim kids in my house. I'm working with a Palestinian about a counter-radicalization program in education. You can't get the racism card on me. You can get me for other stuff, but not racism. Now, if I'd have said, if I'd have said, taken the line, oh... I got stabbed because of the occupation. You know, I understand their frustrations. I would have been the golden girl of the British media. Sure. But because I won't, and because I say there were pogroms way before the state of Israel came into being, and this is part of a global jihad, all right? This is a murderous attempt to kill every Jew. Uh, nobody wants to hear maybe, it. Maybe, and maybe then we'll continue to other subjects, but let's just say that those pogroms you're talking about... Yeah were done under a certain rule. You know what I'm saying? The Brits were responsible. They were the rulers here. And that whole period, I think, was wiped away from the collective memory in the UK. And it's yet to be rediscovered. That's how I feel about it.
I like to say, I think I wrote an article about not so great Britain. You know, right. it's not even all right Britain or okay Britain. Yeah. Like, where's Churchill? You know, where's this conviction of courage and integrity and, you know, but no, it's also politically correct. Yeah. I want to ask you about what happened since. How did you rebuild your life? Uh, how am I rebuilding? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the grammar Gustavo is here. <laughs> no. Um, well, it's a day by day choice. Okay, step by step. Uh, I decided that the most healthy thing for me to do after I mean I'm still in therapy, obviously. Uh, but the most healthy thing, one of the most healthy things for me to do was to make a list of my losses, to be look it in the eye, all right, and say it's a loss of health, a friend, a vocation, self-respect, sleep, weight, routine, innocence, humanity, you know, I mean, losses are huge. You actually made that list. Yes, yes. Uh, it's the Kvetch list. No, not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's no, no. I made that list because it's you know it, it is a huge, huge cosmic thing. But with that, I also made a list uh, of. Let me let me backtrack. Okay, what does it's rhetorical, but you can answer it, boys. Two nice Jewish boys. What what does the word Jew mean in Hebrew? What does it come from? Judea. Ugh, come on. Well, more deeply? L'ekayud comes from the verb... Lodot. Lodot. And lodot has two meanings, depending on the preposition. Grateful. Right? To be thankful and... And um, um, confession. Acknowledgement, yeah. Acknowledgement. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I decided that the best Jewish person I can be is to take the meaning of the word Jew because this is how I'm coping day by day. So one is to be thankful, all right? That's why I have a tattoo on me in Hebrew. I give thanks to you. It's I live a bracelet in an eternal shape dawn. For the yes. audience, it's a bracelet shape um, script. Yeah, Rashi script. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which which has a <laughs> it's the double prayer. meaning in it, your case. Well, it's the first of all, it's the prayer we say upon waking, okay, mm -hmm. that God's restored our breath. But I understood that I should look for things to be thankful for. And I don't mean, oh, I'm so thankful. I was going to be sarcastic, but I won't be that. But, you know, I have to be thankful for the little dog now, Sheba. She's putting her head on my knee. It feels so sweet. And I'm so thankful that I'm looking at two handsome, smiling young men. And that I can see through your window the things I never thought I'd see again in my life, you know, Tel Aviv skyline. So it's like picking out the hundreds of things every day that we should show gratitude for. And that's helping my heart. Okay. Now, the other word would be Lodot, to acknowledge. And I realized early on that I'm not going to, how do you say, Litasekpa. To deal with. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to uh, deal yeah. with the big questions. Like, why did it happen to me? I mean, stuff happens to people. I'm not that special. I'm not like the center of the universe that I should be so shocked that it happened to me. All right. So I'm not doing the why. Like, why did it happen? Or where was God? It's more like, no, where is mankind? You and know? what could I have done differently? Yeah, and, I did all yeah. that for seven years. And I, it was very... You know, I'm not going to do the survivor's guilt 
the worst word we can do or use is if. If I had done this. or No, I'm sorry. It's not my fault. So I, by adopting gratitude and by choosing not to deal with the big philosophical questions, but just to get my hands dirty with the business of living, that's how I'm getting through stuff. And how do you... And with a good glass of scotch sometimes. Right, you know? which you asked of me yeah. and I lacked. <laughs> but, uh, I, if you would have told us, I would have brought. No, it's just one of those little pleasures in life. <laughs> Put out the flask from your pocket, Aton. <laughs> no, I sat on it and broke it like a good drunkard. <laughs> but, okay, so how do you go about living? Um, well, I don't dream. You know, people say, oh, I have a dream. I just or I'm not excited about people oh I'm so excited no like life is now for me this is now what is how do I go about living I don't really think about what I'm going to do tomorrow I mean I have an awareness that I probably should turn up somewhere but it's very much I have an acute enhanced awareness of the present meaning this conversation now between us three and Munchkin and Shiva this conversation is the best conversation I've had in my life because that the now is all that exists do you know what I mean mm -hmm. and I, all my senses have become a little enhanced like the water I mean I was so thirsty in the forest it was it was the shock you know water has never tasted so good you know so those little things which I took for granted they're huge so to me it's those little things that make up life And also to, uh, look, I can make a whole long list of life values I've learned. Things that once were important are not important anymore. Like let people off the hook. You know, if people are mean or somebody cuts you up in the road, sometimes I lose it, really. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I do. You still live in Israel. <laughs> I do. But then, you know what? I said, let it go. Do you know, it's like just, oh, you've, you've fallen out with a friend. Just let it go. Just say your piece. Let them and move on. You know, we get so upset about the little things. So an intense awareness of the present, understanding I can't change the past and not wasting my life by worrying about the future and enjoying life like music, friends, hugs, smiles, reading, There's so much to be thankful for. Right. We okay. definitely have something to be thankful for. Yep. Thank you. Really, yeah. thank you so much. I mean, this is so inspirational. And and what you're doing just really has to be commended. Yeah. I think if, if we got to tell your story to one person who didn't know about it from our audience, that we did a mitzvah and... But you coming here and helping us doing that. Oh, that's great. I'm glad uh, I could. You know, it's the best we can ask for. And now, and now Noah's mother is proud that he's used the word mitzvah. So, <laughs> so it's two good things. Well, let right. me just say for Noah's mother, mama, you should be proud. He just did a mitzvah. <laughs> he did a mitzvah. <laughs> so we have, before we go, uh, we have uh, a collaboration with the Jewish Journal. Um, which Kay apparently also has written for. I've I've written two color uh, two two twice. Mm -hmm. So I think I have many emails from David Suisse saying, "Where's your next article?" So this is especially for David. Be patient. And here you go. <laughs> <laughs> you can count this. Um, so we have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal guys. They're a Jewish uh, and, in general, news source uh, in LA. Um, check them out. Jewishjournal.com. 
gmail.com. Yep, and uh, we accept donations, so... Oh, so do I. We'll plug you in a bit in a sec, um, but uh, we accept donations, so uh, if you feel like helping us out, because we do it on our spare time, just go to 2njb.com slash donate, any sum will be appreciated. And Kay, uh, you're on social media or anything like that? I am, I, uh, I'm on Facebook under Kay Wilson. I'm on Twitter and uh, what do you call the Stoodle? Uh, Instagram? No, not Instagram. Twitter, Twitter. You Twitter. Know ah, what's yeah. your handle? Yeah, handle, handle. Yeah. Kishkush K, K I S H K U S H K A Y. Cool. Okay. I'm a little bit more mean on Twitter, you know, because I like bashing these British politicians. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what Twitter's <laughs> for. Yeah. Being <laughs> the asshole you can't be in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank coming here. Thank you, guys. Here. Thank you. And good luck with everything. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank, Thank you so you much. Care.